This is The Red Center, a podcast about The Handmaid's Tale. I'm Laura June. I'm Rose Eveleth. On today's show, we'll be talking about the sixth episode of The Handmaid's Tale, which came out this week. So if you haven't seen that yet, consider this your spoiler warning. Every week on the show, we'll be focusing our discussion around one central topic. So later on today, we'll be looking at the themes of politics in The Handmaid's Tale. But first, let's start with what's happening on the show in general. And actually, before that, um, we want to issue, I guess, a little correction from last week's episode. Um, I'm not correcting myself. I'm always right. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, I think, yeah, I think something's like unclear. We sort of glossed over something or maybe fully didn't understand. I have spoken to other people who also didn't understand, but we got a few comments and corrections about this, which is we had some discussion about, you know, why Fred's always going to DC if, you know, the capital of the US is in Anchorage and it's because Gilead is not part of the US. It's like they're two separate things. <laughs> and so Gilead seems to be sort of headquartered in DC or right? Is it DC? Yeah. I think so. I think so. I mean, we don't really know. But, but... but I do think there's like some legitimate confusion about um about the way that this world is structured, though the US and Gilead are separate entities. Um, but we did get some explanation of some of those things, I think, in this episode. So that's a good place to start. Yeah. yeah. So this episode is like 99.9% exposition uh, in terms mm-hmm. of like telling us um, what this world is like or sort of some of the background on what's happening. Um, and this, I think, also is like we have fully deviated from the book at this point. Um, they're like, this is I don't no think longer book territory. there's a single thing in this entire episode that is any, any basis. Well, there's the, a couple the of little things that we'll get to, which is like, you know, the fact that Serena Joy was once a like speaker and kind of like public yeah. figure, but, but like tiny, tiny, tiny melted things. her in with her mother a little yeah. bit, maybe, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so, um, lots of things happen in the episode. I will try to go through them quickly. I actually made notes this morning to myself to try to like get through some of this because it is a lot of just like content and information and not a ton of actual plot. Um, but basically, um, we start with the handmaids scrubbing the wall to get the blood off because there are diplomats visiting. Um, they explain that it's a trade delegation from Mexico. Uh, then a lot of this episode in our flashbacks are of Mrs. Waterford, Serena Joy, sort of from before this time. So they basically spend, Serena Joy is the only character who gets developed in this entire episode, really. Um, and we kind of get her backstory. Um, and so we get this flashback of her life before she was this person we see in the show. And she's, I guess, kind of like um, a conservative writer. I actually she take wrote it books. With the concept of like her being developed because I, I can't, I, I I agree with you. That's what's happening, but like I don't know who she is, right? Yeah, and I think that that's well, she's like a caricature, not... right? Yeah, which is I weird because the like... show's not actually full of caricatures. It's kind of, you know, I, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I think that what we're seeing. No, it's fine. I think we'll talk about this. I think what we're seeing is like we're kind of sowing the seeds for the fact that she might not be super happy. Um, and oh, I wonder yeah. if they're trying to get us to think like, oh, she's going to become part of the resistance in some way. Uh, Season she's two. definitely not happy. <laughs> yeah. um, she's not happy. So basically we see her, you know, and she's, I guess, like sort of like an Ann Coulter kind of character, I guess, where she writes books and articles. She's like a young conservative leader person type thing. I mean, it's very vague. Um, but we basically get this sense that she is a person who writes articles and she is dating slash married to Fred. Um, 
So then the, we get back to today. The ambassadors from Mexico show up. Offred is brought out to them. And there's this whole scene in the room in sort of the commander study with the Mexican ambassador. First, we have um, Offred assuming that her assistant, her male assistant, is the ambassador when it's actually the woman. Um, and then they ask her these questions like, you know, are you happy? Did you choose this? And she says. She says she chose this. And she said that she has found happiness. Um, we also get a great moment of Fred speaking extraordinarily terrible Spanish. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like so, so bad. Um, it reminds me of when Bloomberg tried to speak Spanish uh, after no, Bloomberg the hurricane. was better. Bloomberg was, I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him that point. Bloomberg does better Spanish than Fred. Oh, I'm not giving don't. shit. I'm not giving Fred shit. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with um, Fred. And then um, <laughs> the Mexican ambassador sort of asks some pointed questions of the wives, including Serena Joy, about, you know, if she ever imagined a world where women couldn't even read the book that she had written. And she kind of says, no, she couldn't. That's not what she was sort of imagining, but that, you know, you have to make sacrifices and God gives you rewards. She brings God. Kind of her yeah. Right. I actually found it to be really effective in that part just because it was like they – you know, clearly Offred was like prepared and it was actually like the wives who presented like the the bad end. Like they kind of like are the people who brought the situation to like almost blowing it, right? Like it was right. she well, performed I also think well that- and I, I mean I think that her answer is actually really like diplomatic and very good. Um, I have found happiness. I was like, I knew, I was like, oh, of course she's going to, she's going to default back to God, which is like, now I'm coming fully to one of the notes I wrote down is where are the true believers in Gilead? Because I don't, I don't think there are any. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, like, I think that answer is sort of also supposed to kind of assuage us and kind of like explain to us the like viewer why she would do this, like why she gave up all of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, yes. I will say that I do think she seems to have the only sincere belief that like this is and of course she she can say that from her sort of privileged position but she does seem to have this sincere concern for like reproduction um that seems to be what this is born out of and I think it's sort of mirrored later when she does talk to the ambassador uh from Mexico again when Offer talks to her again yeah but um, so then we go back to another flashback of Serena, Joy, and Fred. They go to a movie, and then there's this scene where, I, like, I just burst out laughing in this scene because basically he gets a text message or some message on his phone that basically oh, is yeah. like, "We're going to shoot up the Congress, and then the White House, and then the court." And I'm like, "Oh my he's god, like, you're in a in public movie, movie theater! Like, we're like, going to take out the yes. Senate, then we're going to take out the White House, then we're going to take out the..." And it's like, dude, are you kidding? I was like really pissed off. Like, this is what I was like. I don't know. I don't know about this, but okay, go ahead. Yeah, I had the same thing where I was like, I mean, sort of going back to our question, our sort of conversations last time about surveillance, which is like, they've already hinted that they're being followed by the FBI, right? Like they kind of, he comes yeah. home and he says something about that. And then they're like, he's literally, like, he's like reading his phone. Was all the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in like a public movie theater where he's like, oh, here's the plan, babe. We're going to blow up the White House and then we're going to kill everybody in Congress. Just like it, out in public. Yeah. I'm like, what is going on? Um, and then I guess they like watch this movie, whatever the movie is. Um, and we have this like silly shot of the two, their two faces like kind of like, you know, really reckoning with what they're about to do, which I thought was like absurd. Um, and then we but go I also back think to like, sort of showing you that like they're surrounded by like there's like a lot of like very 
colorfully dressed and sort of wild haired women and stuff. And I think that that like that is shocking a little bit to see in this show. There's like several like one of the flashbacks and then the the scene that you're going to describe next where you get like a wider view of the world. And it is like really disconcerting at this point after having been in this like narrowly. I think one of the things they have done well is like they sort of boxed me in for so long that even though I like desperately hate this episode on many levels i'm like like really ready to talk about it i'm like freaking out because there's so much that happens and it's so widened that i think you sort of feel exhilarated watching it at this point yeah i mean they do make a very clear point of like showing the tattoos in the movie theater and like showing the like haircuts and stuff yeah yeah because it's so different from what right like and you know he's wearing the like polo shirt and like khakis and it's just like he just looks like such a dude. I wish he was wearing shorts. That's all I need. That would be the only like khaki shorts. Go ahead. Yeah. Um so then um we go back to the present. Um Nick comes to get offered. He says the commander wants to talk to her. They make out in the hallway. And then when she's in the commander's office, she's kind of like zoning out because he's like blah, blah, blahing about how stupid the Mexicans are and, you know, whatever. And all she thinks is thinking about is fucking Nick. And they do that like really annoying thing with the Scrabble tiles where she spells out skin. And I'm like, all right, we got it. (laughs) (laughs) Just like, that's so annoying. And then Um, he gets annoyed with her. Yes. And then he's like, oh, am I like... Yeah, and he's, like, such—he's, like—oh, my God, I hate him so much. Um, but he's such a dude being, like, oh, am I, I'm sorry, am I boring you? And she's, like, oh, no, and she has to kind of, like, try to, like, assuage him. And then there's this moment where she's about to leave. He basically tells her to leave. He's, like, well, you know, this is a privilege, and, like, if you if you don't appreciate my, he's you know, like, Later, discourse. Go ahead. Yeah, Bye. like, get on out. Um, and then she kind of stands at the door, and she does this thing with her face where she goes from kind of being upset to, like, putting on her— and I think we're, they're prepping us for this. Like, they're prepping us for her to kind of, like, turn into a manipulator, which she yes. hasn't really been yet. I mean, we had a little bit of that when she asked, you know, can you please ask your wife to let me out of this room? But I think we're sort of getting a little bit of her via her facial expressions to kind of say, like, oh, now she's putting on a face. Because she has yeah. this upset face, and then she, like, puts on the coy face, and she goes, and she's like, oh, please, will you please let me stay? She goes over, he asks her to kiss him, but then nothing really happens. He's like, kiss me like you mean it, which is from the book. Um, but like, then he just tells her to leave. He's, she's got a big day tomorrow. Um, we mm-hmm. get another flashback. Um, and basically, again, we're seeing Serena Joy. Um, we're seeing her prep for a, like, I guess giving a speech or giving a, a talk to these dudes. And then he, Fred comes out and he's basically like, oh, they're not going to let you speak. Um, you know, mm-hmm. women are basically not allowed to do that. And you have this like sort of other guy who is part of, I guess, this uprising with Fred. And he says something like, you know, oh, this is he, she leaves and he's like, oh, is she upset? And he's like, oh, she's frustrated. And he's like, oh, it's our fault. We gave them more than they could handle. You know, we let them focus on academics and forget their real purpose. You know, we won't let that happen again. And so they do that mm-hmm. kind of like, OK, she's getting. So it's basically we're right. And I do feel like in that moment out. they wanted to give Fred like a tiny bit of credit for being creeped out by that guy. And like I was really angry about that. I feel like he like and they yeah they kind of try to make it seem like oh he's like because he says like oh you should be in there and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep fighting for you and it's like bullshit you are not like I don't believe for a second that he is like actually in fact advocating for her in any way Um, but we also see her kind of complicit in that where she says oh no now's not the time for infighting like you know we we all need to be united I'll be at home Um, so we kind of see both of them like she does exactly what women do they're like yeah of course we'll pitch in and help no problem I, I can I'll fix my shit later go ahead yeah, it's like, and then we have the the big ceremony dinner, which I actually thought was an effective scene and was fucking beautiful, awful. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so they bring in the handmaids. Um, you know, they have this 
horrific scene where they line them up and Serena Joy basically says, you know, get rid of the damaged ones, quote unquote, like the ones that Janine, who's had her eye plucked out and the woman who's had her hand like ripped off and just all the people that they've literally mutilated in order to like make them subservient. Um, and you you see, you know, Aunt Lydia push back a little bit where she's like, wait a minute, you know, we've done this, you know, this is all part of the thing. And right. Serena Joy delivers this like... I feelings about what they're doing there because... yeah. They've gone to such great lengths to make her, I mean, truly horrific. And I mean, I get it. Even Aunt Lydia is like a human. Um, but yeah, I I mean, I actually kind of like, it actually kind of made me feel like such empathy for them because it came, like it was so disgusting and, and the sort of like call for empathy came from a disgusting, horrible person that I, yeah. I think it works really well, but. Right, and you see that, like... It made me feel very bad inside, actually. Yeah. Like, to hear... This whole scene made me feel awful. Like, she was a baby, and... Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, like, you know, I think that we've seen Aunt Lydia, and she's a horrible, horrible person, but you you see in the scene, too, that she, like, I think truly cares about these women. Like, she does actually, like, want them to, you know... And she also is, like, basically powerless, right? Like, she can't say oh, no, like, that's, it's not fair. Like, we're the person who made her, like, look fucked up by, like, plucking out their eyes and, and you know, like, removing their fingers and hands and stuff. And she, she, she's, she can't really say that, you know. She says, right. like, for one second, she's like, you know, come on. And then, and then that's it. Like, they're done. Yeah. So it's, I don't have a well, we're also sympathy for her, but I have some. Yeah, totally. And we're also, I think, seeing, you know, I, I think it was been hinted at, but I think we're seeing how powerful Fred and his and Serena Joy are in this world. Like, they are in charge. They are, like, They're some everything. of the most important yeah. people. They're, like, about um, as, like, I don't, I'm, like, what is above them, right? Like, right. I mean, I he really... has to go to D.C. to do stuff, so maybe there are people, but, like, in this com- part of the world, in this community or whatever, it seems like they are the like top top people um and then serena joy delivers this line which i think is going to be important later and which was also just like a stab in the heart where she says you don't put the bruised apples at the top of the crate um because we sort of later learn that like they are literally like for sale um and so Mm -hmm. we go to this dinner serena joy addresses the audience and there's this moment where some of the men and people are like whoa there's a woman who's like speaking to this room which is sort of not a thing that happens anymore and then they bring out the children and it mm-hmm. is so awful and creepy. And they're wearing these little, like, you know, almost like German-esque, like, uniform thingies with the little suspenders and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it goes into slow motion. You see all these handmaids just, like, kind of freaking out. Um, and then... Right. And, they're, like, like it, recognizing it, their kids. Right. And they're seeing their children being played with by these, like, other people. And then, you know, the Mexican ambassador is, like, there and she's playing with them. And I thought that was just, like... Really heartbreaking. And then you get this conversation with Offred and this other handmaid who clearly, like, is either part of Mayday or, like, understands, like, what's going on. And she's kind of like, hey, what did you, like, what did you hear? And Offred is, like, an idiot and is like, oh, I don't know. Like, uh, who cares? Whatever. And she's like, you, like, you moron. Like, they're going to, they're trading for us, right? They're trading for handmaids. Um, Mm -hmm. And so you get this idea that, like, the Mexicans are not here to trade for oranges or whatever the fuck else. They're there to trade for these women. And she has this moment of realization of, like, what is going on, actually? Mm -hmm. Um, Which I thought was, like, that seems really effective. And um, also, like, again, completely departs from the book. That's, like, not a thing that happens in the book at all. Um, Right. So then after this very successful dinner, which basically, like, Serena Joy orchestrates and essentially make sure that her commander this fred gets his deal right this is like clearly like this has worked they are going to get the deal um and you know they finally have sex which is like i guess like her reward or something um but of course she's not going to get any credit at all for like having essentially like done this thing and made this happen um 
So we're getting close to the end of the recap, I promise. Um, Alfred goes to Nick and kind of freaks out that she said she was happy and she chose this. And he's kind of like, you know, like, if the, if you didn't say that, they probably would have killed you. He's, like, very understanding. And he, like, she tells him her real name, which is, like, a big deal. Um, so then we have this final scene where the Mexican ambassador shows up at their house the next morning to basically, like, say thank you and goodbye. And she offers Alfred this little, like, Mexican chocolate thing. Um, and Alfred basically, like tells her, like, no, I lied to you. This is horrible. I didn't choose this. They stole my daughter. They beat us. They maim us. They rape us. This is horrible. You have to do something. And you get this moment where the Mexican uh, ambassador is like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Like, we need you. We haven't had a baby born in my city for six years. And so she basically just says, like, I'm sorry, like, we're willing to do this because we need we don't have any kids. Like, our our country is dying. And then you get Alfred saying the line, you know, my country is already dead. Um, and so there's this, like, kind of moment where you think that maybe this woman is going to, like, turn because, you know, she had asked her, like, you know, do you, you know, are you happy? All of this stuff. Um, and she doesn't. She just says, like, sorry, but, like, this is, you know, we need Right. We she need wanted this. to be lied to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they leave. Um, and then there's this sort of big cliffhanger reveal thing at the end where the ambassador mm-hmm. leaves and her assistant says, I want to help you. Your husband, Luke, is alive. I know who he is. I can get you. A, I can get a message from you to him. And so he hands her this pad of paper, and she's supposed to write a message to him. Um, and then the episode ends. Um, and so, what we, would you say? What would you put on that note? I, that's what I was thinking. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like, what, what's up? Like, hey, buddy, <laughs> like, come save me. Like, what? Like, because she has no idea. Like, what circumstances? Like, where is he? Like, right. what is going where on? Is he? Is he, is he, uh, is like, he the ambassador to right? Like, it's like, is he in a work camp? Is he? harvesting the human organs somewhere like what is he doing is he okay right. and if is he's he not, not doing okay? those things if he is like in a position of power why the fuck has he not come to get her yet <laughs> like you know right. like what it's, is he doing yeah yeah I uh, I, yeah i thought that too i was like <laughs> this little tiny piece of paper well, like literally what do you write like hey hey but hey miss you like, like keep in touch <laughs> <Yeah>. you know <laughs> like um so that's what does it even mean to have a spouse at this point right like right she just told them that she's raped once a month and that she was stolen (laughs) right Right. like and her her child was stolen away um, from her a prisoner so right well and like in the book she does have this moment um where she thinks about like oh you know this whole stuff with nick like am i cheating on luke and da 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 i don't know if they're gonna get into that in this episode or in this show um, I mean, at the I same feel like time, they like, did a little bit like, in the last episode where they were like flipping between her and him, yeah. between um, Nick and Luke. I feel like they did sort of like address her confusion about that. It's like, how yeah. do you cheat on someone who you like don't even know if they're alive or dead or right, whatever. right? And for the whole show, she thought he was dead, you know, and they kind of set it up. I mean, we've already said right. like we didn't think he was dead, you know, we called that, so we were right about that. Um, but I do think right. that, like, to me, that, like, yeah, yes. <laughs> um, to me, that, like, <laughs> the cheating thing is actually, like, not a super interesting question because it's, like, you're under such insane circumstances. I mean, and seriously, like, seriously, like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's the episode. Um, I mean, I think that, like, we get a ton of information about the world, which, like, in some ways yeah. I sort of regret asking for um, because yeah. this episode so was really what I think is frustrating. Like, what, what I think is really interesting about this is um, the first, like, couple of times we've been talking, <clears throat> all I feel like I've done is, like, bitch about how depressing the show is and how I can't stand watching it and how I have to watch another episode and I don't want to. This episode is not like that. And I feel like actually the last one was like slightly not like that too. So I feel like the world is 
like opening out a little bit. It's getting like slightly less depressing because Offred is like now not afraid to sort of be a bitch to who she wants to be a bitch to the, the, the truth telling like moments of her are very cathartic and you're like, yes, even if you feel like, like plot wise, it's kind of silly or whatever. It's like, there's, there is some catharsis there. And I also think in the flashbacks and in the dinner scene with the ambassador, with the, with the, um, the ambassadors from Mexico, I feel like those like open out the world. So you get to see more of it. There's like more space to breathe. The episode's like more enjoyable to watch and also like offers getting laid. So like the show's getting more enjoyable to watch, but like, I'm also getting like more irritated with it. I feel like more, see, I disagree. I, I feel like I would rather watch the other, the more, cause like this is, I don't like, that's what I'm saying. I, mean, I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I guess that's true. That's what you're saying. I feel like, but I mean like to me, yeah. the, the thing that they're trying to, play with and I think that this is a really the thing that is the most interesting to me about The Handmaid's Tale in general as a book and as like whatever is that like what she's playing with and a lot of these a lot of scenes and a lot of moments and a lot of sort of the internal dialogue in the book at least and I think that they were playing with in the first couple of episodes of the show is that like even in these these horrible like horrific conditions you know people will find little things they will find little pieces of joy they will find little things little releases like a little smirk here a little like joke there that like that and that Mm -hmm. means everything to them and I feel like now you know that she's able to mouth off a little bit more and she's able to do these other things and we're seeing the rest of of this world a little bit more it does kind of take away from some of that because a like you know it's not just these little moments sort of exchange between handmaids or sort of internal to her we're getting you know she's making jokes to nick and she's making you know she's like mouthing off to the even serena joy where she's kind of like okay whatever red's my yeah, color I mean, that, you know that's what i think they're conveying i don't think they're conveying that like the show is more enjoyable for me to watch. I think her life is getting more enjoyable for her to live. Like if, even if only super slightly. Right. But then there are moments where they pull her back. Right. And I think that's the effective part of this episode Mm -hmm. where like, you know, we get, we sort of, they do this thing, I think pretty well in the show is where they like build you up to be like, okay, she's okay. And even some of those musical choices that I hated where it was like, okay, they're all in this together. And like, this is, you know, like a, you know, a sisterhood and blah, blah, blah. And then you have moments where like, she has to confront the reality of what this actually is. Like when she describes to the Mexican ambassador, like, no, I am raped once a month and they mutilate us and they beat us with cattle prods. And like, you kind of go through and you're like, oh wait, right. Like this is horrible. Um, and she kind of forces you to kind of remember that and say, of feeling it uh, all the time, right? Because so you get used to really it, even just as a viewer, right? Like, right? You acclimate to the world, and you and people are capable of sort of like withstanding and adapting to like even really horrible circumstances, and that's true historically. And I think, I mean, okay. So my first, <laughs> I find it really <laughs> go on, I go find off. it really unlikely that these people would be good fucking organic farmers. I they can't like put Oh my god, I had that question too. <laughs> they can't barely get like they're not good at doing stuff, right? Their government seems to suck. It seems to like be I just took that as a lie. I took that as a flat lie. Like that he's just lying to these people to be like cuz how would they know? You know, right. he's just like, "Oh yeah, our crops are great. Everything's great." Like that's just right. a lie. This shit has to be falling apart. It has to be held together with duct tape because I am so disbelieving of the concept that these people are good, even good bureaucrats, right? Like they don't seem... Well, even like... They seem to only be able to like hold things together with like guns, right? And like with beating people. That's what's like yeah. sort of um, uh, really 
disconcerting and like effective about her the scene where she actually says what's going on is that if you say it in really blunt terms it's like oh yeah the only reason that this looks even remotely good is because they threaten us at every turn with like death or dismemberment so yeah so I just find that whole and I actually think your explanation is really um satisfying to me I kind of it didn't occur to me for some reason maybe I'm very dumb but um yeah I think they must be lying because I don't believe that they would be good at doing anything and I just don't want to hear them giving credit for oh all of a sudden you figured out the food problem cool like I don't believe that for a second well even maybe maybe because you killed most of the people or something but I don't know to me like the 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 piece of the episode I mean we get a lot of Fred and we can talk about like how yeah, I have a, a note here. It says Fred is gross. Human Fred. <laughs> Fred. I think, wait, I'm going to look, because I have a very similar note. Uh, let's see. What did I write? I wrote in all caps, God, he is so awful. He's really bad. <laughs> He's just the worst. This guy should get an Emmy um, because it is bad. He is bad. Also, can we just, this is a side thing, but like his eyes are so close together. <laughs> it really bothers me. He's pretty handsome. I mean, it's hard to see it now because I feel like I, he, forever he's going to be stuck in this role for me. I mean, this is career ender. He's done. Yeah, this is never again. I feel like, you know, yeah. I get this like weird, you know, at different points in the show, definitely in this one, I I think they were really pushing it. But, you know, she really has um, Serena Joy. She has this like Betty Draper vibe that is like so inescapable. And um, I'd never really thought of him in that sort of light, but, like, I sort of am starting to think of him that way now, too. And I think if you do start to think about it in in a sort of, like, 1950s uh, realm, it's it gets really de- – her life gets really depressing fast. I haven't focused on her – uh, Serena Joy very much, but, um, I'm starting to feel, and I think this is, you know, I'm sure it's intentional. I'm starting to feel worse and worse for her, despite the fact that, you know, she is complicit and, uh, is also torturing her handmaids. <laughs> I am starting right, to feel Right, right. I mean, like, too. I do think that we're seeing, yeah, and I think that's obvious, like, I think that's definitely an intentional choice, and I do think that they're going to try to turn her maybe because i mean she it, like the all this exposition about her background which like admittedly is like pretty two-dimensional in terms of like oh she had this career and she was like a really smart strategic woman who like had a hand in planning this whole fucked up rebellion I mean, thing yeah i think i think what they might be sort of leaning towards is it seems like in to some extent all women that they have shown us are redeemable at this point and none of the men are pretty much. I mean, like, the men seem to be operating in more of a, I don't know. I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it because, like, with the with the end of the secretary and with Nick and with Fred, it's like they all operate in this, like, nebulous region where, like, I feel like the none of the women trust any of the men and for good reason and I hate them all and I want them to die. Yeah. Well, she <laughs> has this moment where she's like, yeah, well, I mean, I feel that way about all men always anyway, so yeah. it's fine. Um, but she has this moment where um, where she's, like, talking to Nick. She goes into his, like, you know, little apartment thingy, and she's, like, freaking out about how the fact that she had, you know, said that she was happy and said this and that. And he was kind of trying to say, like, hey, you know, what are, what were you supposed to do? Da-da-da. And there's, I think that's, like, a really clear sort of example where it's like he's willing to just do and say whatever he needs to to kind of get along. Right. And he didn't even have an idea about what else she could do. Right. He didn't say, oh, right. That's true. Like you, you could have at least tried to 
he's like very much like save your own ass, right? Right. And he said that to her in earlier episodes where he's like, listen, you know, nobody is going to like we're none of us are getting through this. Right. Like just he's like the gunslinger. Do what you need to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then she says this line to him where she's like, whatever, you're an eye, like you're invincible. And he's like, that's not true, blah, blah, blah. But it kind of is. I mean, like we we see in this um, in this episode, there's a, we see that Nick has been with them from the very beginning, right? Because yeah. he's in the scene where yeah. they move into that house. And he's the one who puts the box with her high heels and her own book in the garbage. Yeah. Um, and the garbage kind of comes comes by. And so we've seen that Nick has been literally with them from the very, very, very beginning, which I think is intentional. They show Nick doing that, that like he's been with them for forever. Um, and so, you know, he but he's been sort of doing his own thing and he's sort of carved out this world for himself where he he can kind of do whatever he wants right he feels comfortable enough to come to her room and like make out with her in the hallway on the sending her on her way to the commander like he's kind of immune to a lot of this stuff and we've never seen any hint that he has there are any consequences for him for anything in fact we've never really seen very many consequences for men in general in this world um and so it just sort of feels like yeah, like, why do why do any of the women trust any of the men? I mean, I don't know. I do think that, like, there is something interesting happening with Serena Joy, which I think I think a lot about sort of in our sort of modern political world, which is, like, you have this sort of conservative commentator who is, you know, advocating for these conservative values or for these traditional values where women are subservient to men. And then when that actually happens in a very real and literal way— they have to kind of grapple with that. Right. And I'm always curious about that. Like, right, like even now, you know, you have people who are advocating for women being subservient to men and you have women advocating for that. And I do wonder, you know, if that happened, if that, I mean, not that it isn't already sort of part of the world, but if that was sort of really explicitly and codified in law where like women couldn't read and women couldn't go to go to school and all this stuff. I mean, can you imagine a woman who wrote books like an Ann Coulter kind of person then being like, oh, yeah, sure, that's fine. I Like, cool. I won't give speeches anymore. I won't write books anymore. I won't do any of that stuff anymore because I've, you know, achieved this. Like, that just seems to me un- unlikely and unbelievable. And I think we're seeing this woman grapple kind of with that question in this episode. Also, I am not unclear, like, how far away, like, how long this has been. You know what I mean? Like, how long it has been since this, is this a big happened. This is a big question for my watching partner, who I'm not with. And so I watched this episode <laughs> I'm alone. I'm shocked. My watching partner, Josh has a lot of questions about this episode. When he watches it, he's going to be so angry because one of the things <laughs> that he's always, and he has not read the book, one of the things he's always sort of questioned is like the machinery of how, I mean, I sort of coined a term in, in my head for what, like for what I feel like this show is, is in its genre this morning. It's called, I wrote it down, Wish Fulfillment Dystopia. I think that, to a certain, and I don't think that that's true really of the book, though I do think it's true of it a little bit. I do think that what we're seeing in the show is like some purge that we need to like go through where we're like, yes, this could happen. But there are parts of it that I definitely could and definitely can. And then there are parts of it where I'm like, is this what they really want? Right? The oppression of women, yes. The rolling back of women's rights, yes. Do they really want women to not be able to read? Wouldn't it be easier if they could a lot of the time? Like, I feel like there are certain things here that just don't make sense in the society that, like, people just... I mean, like, something seems off about the way they're painting the world to me, and I can't put my hands on it. It's just, like, my finger on it. It's, like... Also, there's like 15 handmaids. Where are the rest of them? Are these the only women capable of reproduction? 
I'm getting very confused. Well, I think that gets at our question that, of scale, I think, I think right? It's like, scale and in timeline. And I think that it seems like what they're presenting us is, uh, a, you know, a very violent beginning where they had to take out all of the government forces because I guess like the government was the only thing like it's it's it suggests that like the populace of the US was like really complacent and complicit but like the government was what was standing in the way of like their taking over which kind of seems backwards to me right. i feel like the actual power of like sort of any democracy is that like people will go uh no I mean, there are certain, there are definitely points where people are like, no, thanks. We'll take rioting. Right. Um, I don't know. I I do have some problems with like how they present, like how this went down. Right. Yeah. Well, so the kids just like in terms of like working backwards, I do have some questions about that. I think that it's like, right. Like it's a fair point. And I think it it gets at like, how big is this world? Is this Mm -hmm. just Boston? Or, like, we don't, how big is, is it all of the U.S.? Because that feels unlikely. But it doesn't feel as unlikely, I mean, maybe not in Boston, but to have, like, a section of the United States kind of, like, turn. You know right. what I mean? Like, maybe it's, like, Texas or Arkansas or, like, something like that. But we do see that in the, um, when they bring all the kids out, that kind of gives us a little bit of a sense of, like, how long this has been going on. Because the oldest kid in that little cohort is, what, like, three or four? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And so maybe that's like a little sense of like, okay, so it's been three or four years. And they like say these are the children of Gilead. Began. There's like eight of them. Is it all of them? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I guess if you haven't had any children in six years in a major city that like having 10 is a big deal. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. know. Um, but I do think that like um, there are, I think there's a lot of like questions too, right? About like how, how this system works. And I think, you know, part of it, I think your wish fulfillment dystopia is a really, really smart idea because I do think that also gets at some of the the reviews that I've been reading where people and really want mm-hmm. this show yes, to be to like reflect. the dystopian future yeah. of our current time. Yes. And like I like 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 you said, some of these things are very like things we should be talking about, like reproductive rights and sort of like women's rights. But again, like it is a dystopia. And you know, Margaret Atwood does this whole thing about like, oh, I didn't make any of this up. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But she like combined all of them in a way that right. just feels she made very up the combination improbable. in and a horrific not... manner. You know, and... right? And that's like it's effective, right? This is fiction. It doesn't need to be like yeah. necessarily plausible, right? Like I think, but I do think that you know when we start talking about, and I, I think that it's unfair, kind of, to the book to or to this whole concept and, and the fiction, the piece of fiction, to force it to actually sort of like live within our actual world and li- like so okay so how would we get to from today's america to there and i think that like we're not trying to do that but i do think that i see a lot of commentary about the mm-hmm. show kind of almost trying to here's make how those it would go down where it's like well next step handmaid's tale like with the whole like Amer- the healthcare <laughs> yeah. act like oh well now we are in the handmaid's tale and i'm like no we're, we're not in the handmaid's tale like i understand like what you're trying to say and i understand that this is a scary thing and that people should be scared of it and we should have these conversations but it does feel a little bit like well wait hold on like <laughs> and i'm not one to argue that you know not not having healthcare for a variety of pre-existing conditions that you, you know, whatever is good. But like, it does feel like people are kind of trying to force the current political world into this box in a way that is not helpful and is sort of like not even insightful in any right. way. It just sort of makes it 
so one-dimensional where it's like, well, we're only four steps away from the Handmaid's Tale, and if they pass this in the Senate, we're basically all Handmaid's down. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Like, that's not what's happening. Yeah. And it also, like, removes our ability to actually have a, like, conversation about, you know, actual policy and, like, what's going on and what we should do and what politicians should do because it just sort of makes it, like, compresses it all down into this, like, well, is this a dystopia or not? Right. Yes. And I think when you compact it down to that oversimplification, it's it's like borderline meaningless pretty quickly. And I don't I think there's been a lot of nuance to a lot of the critique, but I do think that like the corpus of the critique has been. I mean, it's like now Hillary Clinton, you know, it's like everyone's going like, oh, you know, now it's um, now we're we're now we should worry about the Handmaid's Tale. It's like, yes, it's timely. Yes, it's a cultural sort of touch point right now because they've made a tv show about it but the book has been around right. for a really long time and the u.s and the book has been timely for it's a really always long been time, time right like the book has been timely right. forever so like in. we've always yeah. been two steps away from the handmaid's tale but like not actually right. and i think what else and i also think that like you know oh god it's just i think that some of the things um that i sort of take issue with is and I do think it is mostly in the show, though I understand why they're doing some of them to some extent. But I do sort of take issue with like this being anyone's ideal conception of a world. Like I said, the rolling back of rights, like the actual means, I I, I kind of get some of them. The actual ends, I also kind of get some of them. But the way that these pieces have locked together to create this world. And I think it's partially because I don't have all of the information. I think it's unclear to me what the population size looks like. It's unclear to me um, really what their full religion looks like because <clears throat> if you don't have religion and you realize that the human race is like probably dying out and like I have to tell you, a statistician would tell the residents of Gilead that their project is going to be a failure. If that is their rate of reproduction, unless something crazy happens that changes it in the near future, they you have you know you have to replace a population at like a certain rate or it's just like it's like when a language dies, right? You can you can only replace the the speakers of it so fast and and sort of once the process of it dying out starts, it can be very hard to sort of artificially push back on it without a lot of science and technology, um, which is like... Well, unless like all the entire population of Gilead is like in that room, you know what I mean? Like in that banquet hall. Like, is that is that everybody? Like, I have no idea. Right. But then they could be wiped out by an earthquake, right? Like, I mean, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> what I'm saying is like at a certain point, like if you're not a religious person and you you're not looking for a reason for what happened you could go well it's an ecological disaster and now we you know we're mostly not fertile like there's no like sort of innate need to continue the human race which is pretty dark to say but there's no there's no moral <laughs> imperative morning Laura. there's no moral imperative <laughs> for me to have kids do you know what i mean like if i if i found out that i was infertile it would be i would be if I, if I couldn't have had my daughter, I would have been really upset, um, but I would have accepted it, right? Like it's – I do think that like you come to this point where it's like what are they doing? And like that is where the religion comes in and that's where I feel like they haven't filled in those pieces for me. Um, I feel like they 
even suggested in this episode, particularly like where Fred and, and Serena Joy were like either early married or dating, they're like going to have sex and they're like reciting Bible verses like hastily. And it's like, yeah, that was very weird. It's really weird, but it also suggests to me that like they didn't mean it. And like if they're this place, placed this highly and like it's very like whatever to them even, it just seems like who, yeah, like who are the true believers of this, whatever this religion or cult looks like. And I don't know. It just seems like they don't buy their own bullshit. I can't find a person there who's, it's like they keep suggesting maybe Fred's kind of a little bit of a, you know, feminist or he's paying lip service to his wife and, and she seems like she's not fully on board with it. And maybe that is what like a teetering new experimental disgusting society would look like where everyone would be filled with doubt. But I, I haven't seen one person yet who's like, fuck yeah, this place is awesome. No one thinks it's awesome. Everyone thinks yeah, it but sucks. I do, Except for Fred. Yeah. But I do think that like, <laughs> I, I do think that there is an element of like, yeah, well, Fred's great. Fred's having a great time. He's having a fucking ball. Um, but I do think that like, there is something, I think that they're part of the reason that Atwood and the show is sort of like pulling all of these different elements where you've got both a sort of some sort of ecological disaster, which like hasn't really been explained. We've gotten the explanation in the flashbacks of the fact that there was a falling fertility rate, but we don't know if that is after whatever giant ecological disaster happens or nuclear disaster or whatever it is, or if that's clearly like related, but it's unclear. Yeah. To what extent? Right. Right. Because we see that when June has her for her baby that like, you know, we see the hospital and it's empty and like there's that whole thing. So we know that the birth rate is already falling. We have that woman try to steal her baby. We have people like praying as she's going into the hospital. So we know that the birth rate is falling even before Gilead exists. And then we get sort of um, we have Serena Joy saying like, OK, fertility is a national resource, which is not something that is she made up. Right. That is a very common like a thing among like especially like nationalistic and sort of super conservative countries. Um, And I think that, like, there's a combination of things happening here where you can have some sort of panic, right? Where you have people saying, like, holy shit, something is happening. Our nation is dying. And even if, like, logically and sort of ethically and morally and philosophically and statistically this makes no sense, it totally is believable to me that a community or a nation or a region might totally freak out and do something that is really in the benefit of no one. I mean, like you had in like the children's crusade, right? You had people just like sending their children off to like go do, you know, it's like things happen where people just like panic. There's mass panic and people do things that don't make any sense, right? So thousands and thousands of children go get sent off to like march to the Holy Land because that's supposed to like fix something, you know? So you have these moments, I think, in history where you see stuff like that and that, you know, yes, it makes no sense. And looking back on it, you're like, what the fuck are you guys doing like what are you thinking but so like to me i feel like this is that's what we're seeing here we're seeing these people who are panicking don't know what to do don't really have the resources or the information to deal with what's happening and this is their solution and yes their solution is bad for everyone basically yeah and i think that like that's what we're seeing and that's like an unstable condition it's not something that lasts and it doesn't make any sense and i think we're going to see it unravel in the show i think that's where we're going especially for season two i think that's what we see we sort of see this whole thing kind of come crashing down because it is precarious and they're establishing it as precarious in the show, right? They're establishing that all of these people, except for like the dudes basically, are unhappy and they're in these weird positions and they're making all these sacrifices and they're not really getting anything out of it. And so I think that like what we're seeing here is, yeah, it's a failure in logic. It's a failure in ethics. It's a failure in statistics, but it's not un 
believable to me in the context of, you know, historical moral panics or mass panics or sort of like these things that happen where people just kind of like lose it and just react, yeah. you know, in this mm-hmm. way. And that sort of feels like what we're seeing. Yeah. And I think that the the uh, scene with the with the um, with the ambassador is is really effective in that, like, in no way that the show has been previously, she sort of in a few sentences you know, when she says like, we haven't, you know, the city where I'm from, a baby hasn't been born alive in six years and you go, and it really does sort of, it's so stark and you're like, oh, I, I see now like why <clears throat> I'm not, uh, obviously their solution is <laughs> shit, but you see like why they would be driven to like sort of desperate, sort of really bad solutions. But I think that like another thing that I'm sort of starting to take away from this is when they bring the children in, the first thing I thought is like, is her daughter going to be there? Right. And her daughter would be older. Her daughter would be like closer to eight probably. And she's not like a child born in Gilead. Right. Like she's not born of a handmaid. She was born of like a woman, but like her daughter, we know, or we have, but why wouldn't they artificially inflate that number? Right. Like that's my question. Like if you want to show off this thing, just pull as many fucking children as you can find. But what, one thing I'm taking away from this is Moira's gone. Her daughter is gone. Luke is gone. There seems to be a um, a large swath of people just in this one tiny segment of the world. They've gone missing and it's unclear where they are. And it's unclear if they're in a good place or a bad place, but they're gone. And they're not in Gilead. They're not They're not dead. They haven't been killed. So where are they, right? They keep talking about these nebulous, like, oh, they're in the colonies or whatever. And that sounds like she's like, I don't want to get sent there because it's been threatened there. But I, because it's been threatened, though, this is a horrible, it's a horrible place. There's no food or there's just, you know, it's like work camps or whatever. But we've never seen that. And we don't know what the rest of the world looks like. We know now. I still don't think they exist. We know now that, you know. Mexico's dying too, right? So it's like the fertility problem uh, is at least taking up the continent. <laughs> and I think that – I do think that there's a – that they have kept it because in the book there's um, a scene with with uh, some Japanese tourists. I think that maybe part of the reason that they have kept um, this uh, to the continent is that maybe – Maybe this is a U.S. specific disaster that has happened, or a North America, an, an an America's specific disaster that has happened, because we've yet to really. We know that the United Nations still exists. We know that other places still exist, but it's unclear to me what the rest of the world looks like. It's unclear to me where Luke could be. He could just be roaming freely. I don't know where Moira is escaping to. I know that some part of the U.S. still exists out there. We've 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 established that, but because we haven't seen any of that, it's unclear if there's a. I don't know. It just you start to feel like you're in this like weird glass dome, right? Because it's like uh, if there are places that are nearby for her to escape to, like why isn't she trying? And I understand that she's been sort of like beaten down, but. There's cars and roads. I'd be out of there, man. I'd be out. I'd be out and dead really fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Take off. I mean, I get do think killed. that like that 
<laughs> One thing that was nice about bringing the Mexican uh, like ambassador in and having her deliver that line about how, you know, her city or hasn't had a baby in six years is that, you know, it does kind of cut against your like the village theory where it's oh, like yeah. all of this is <laughs> yeah. fake and like they're just, just like making it up. That. Right. So like. I mean, I was sort of like, even when I read the book, I remember thinking like, maybe this is all fake. And like, maybe the colonies are fake, right? Like, maybe this is just a thing they threaten people with and they don't exist. They either just kill the people or like they're in prisons or something like that. I mean, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, like, I there think is, that there's definitely a lot of, of misinformation going around, right? Like, I don't think that any right. of the women especially have any concept of what is going on. That's why Offred couldn't even conceive of, even though she's a completely modern woman four years ago, she couldn't even conceive of this woman being the ambassador. I don't know if this is like a budgetary constraint on the show or I feel like it mustn't be. I feel like there must be ways around this. I feel like it's, you know, the book definitely has this very intimate feel. And I think because it stays so narrow, you never really know that part, you know, that like doling out of information in such a, a metered way and she's so stingy with information that she gives you and she never really paints the rest of the world until the last minute and even then it's just sketched very hastily. I think in the book it's very powerful. In in the show where they choose to like do a lot of exposition, it's not like dissatisfying and I'm not like a pedantic viewer. Like I can suspend disbelief and like occasionally I'm like, wait a minute, in Star Wars, is this in the past? Because, you know, like you start to think because if you (laughs) allow yourself to start asking those questions, then you're just, you're fucked, right? Like you, once you start, it's like, there's no answer. There's like a, there's a wormhole that like just continues and continues. And I think that like with this, it's not like that. Like I do think it could be, there are lots of ways Like, this is, like, a sort of alternate future, like, imagining, right? Like, this could happen theoretically, right? That someone could overthrow the U.S. government by taking out all the the chambers of government. And, like, that could happen. And, like, there are... Via text message in a movie theater. But, like, because there are all these other competing elements that Atwood brought into the book, which is in the environment and reproduction, which is the primary concern, because that is the primary, like, environment stress, I do think that there's this, like, I'm constantly going, like, is this the only town of Handmaids? Or, like... And, like I said, I'm not, like, a, a... like a pedantic person who needs all of these things answered immediately. I'm totally willing to keep it like to scale and allow them to like unfold the show before me. But, but yes, I do think like if they're going to trade some of them away, what they, well, they only have 15. So are they going to trade five of them? Are they going to trade two of them? It's like, and what does Mexico get out of that? Two babies maybe because like there's been one baby born the entire time I've been watching. As far as I know, June has never well, had also, it. She's only had one child in her life. Yeah. I also sort of wonder, right? like, okay, and she's you been trade... doing this for years. Yeah. Right. You trade these women and you, you basically, when you trade them, you remove them from this, like, sort of system through which they've been indoctrinated and also controlled via threats of violence, via cattle prods, et cetera, et cetera, which apparently right. the Mexican ambassador didn't in Mexico? know about. How does that work in Mexico? If she didn't even know that that's what it requires, or maybe she did, and she was just kind of like wanted June to say or Offred to say, yeah, I'm happy and sort of right. give her the okay. This is a can of worms. <laughs> I know, but I do it's wonder. It's a can of worms, I think, for, yeah. 
but yeah, I mean, it is like a question of how how does this, you know, because I think what we're seeing slowly but surely in these handmaids is how effective threats of violence and abuse can be at making women complicit, right? And and making women feel as though oh, yeah. they yeah. either have no choice or that even they are okay with it, right? And we've seen them tease that out in, I think, really effective ways throughout the show. And you're seeing sort of the ways in which a system like this and a structure like this can change your thinking, right? The fact that, you know, Offred, right, like, greeted the man, even though, like, maybe when she was back working as a book editor, she would have, you know, not assumed that the man was you know, the ambassador or like reading the magazine, you know, there's a moment she's looking at all these women and like, it just seems kind of wild that anybody looked like that or anybody wore makeup like that. And so you're seeing sort of this indoctrination and this sort of um, slow, essentially like erosion of these women's lives and sort of internal personalities and sort of their acceptance of their fate. And when you remove them from that context, and that's why I think this question isn't necessarily just pedantic, although it definitely is also pedantic. um, But when you remove them from this setup and from the situation, that all goes away. And like how effective, you know, how how can this work removed from the threats of violence, the eyes, the like sort of constant medical checkups, the like ritualized and religious rape? Like does that that doesn't work unless they're basically saying we will when you get traded, you are released into like to, you know, to go have babies. But you're no longer part of this like thing. Right. You're just like giving them fertile women to do with whatever they want because you want whatever they have. But I'm just like, how does this work? Yeah, I mean, and, and and the other thing that happened is this weird sense. It happened twice in the episode. It happened first when the ambassador asked her what her name was. And then the second time at the very end when the ambassador's secretary handed her the notepad. And it was like there was this overwhelming sense of like, oh, shit, right. They're just pretending. They're pretending that, like, they've decided that they're going to live – in this like sort of faux colonial times weird thing where her name, she doesn't have a name anymore and she doesn't know how to write. She doesn't know how to read and everyone's just fucking pretending. And like the reality is that the rest of the world out exists out there and it might be like a hell world environmental disaster where no one can get pregnant or have a baby, but like she doesn't have to pretend like she doesn't know how to read or that she doesn't remember what her name was. Right. <clears throat> and so what I do think is effective in the show is that they're pushing that like what I do think bringing the outside world into is this which was very effective in the book with the tourists is um this sense that you start to feel like um like she's on like she's an exhibit you know it's like they're like oh how curious what is she seems she seems pretty happy she seems okay like this. I also do think that, like, in some ways, I thought it was effective to bring in the um, the outside ambassador in part because it sort of indicts the rest of the world as being complicit. Yes, right? Where for it's like, sure. Oh, you know, like, you know, that they're this like, is please do like, something. Don't tell me that Mexican ambassador knows. Right. Like, right. and she says to her, please help me. And she basically says, sorry, trade is more important. Like, and I think that's a thing that we see constantly in actual politics, right? Where like, there are people, you know, we know that there are horrible atrocities happening and economic factors are more important and trade is more important. And there's all this sort of like political stuff that happens that is valued above, you know, real human lives. And I think that like that, they do a good job of kind of pointing that out here is that it's not like 
Gilead is is completely walled off from the rest of the world and nobody knows what's going on. Um, I mean, they have trade delegations. They have people coming in. They, you know, they have, you know, they go to other countries. You know, they're in negotiations. I mean, people know, even if they don't know the full extent to what's going on, they know that, like, the gist of what's happening. And it doesn't take a fucking rocket scientist to figure out that that's not okay. But, you know, they're there because they need something. And I think that, like, it sort of it pulls the curtain back a little bit on some of these sort of negotiations and trade and sort of the way that, you know, money and and trade sort of is complicit and sort of is a driver of injustice and death and murder and rape and all these things. And that is like a very, very much a thing that is not a dystopian future. That is what's happening like today right now. Yes. Super uplifting note to end us on. Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, we're all we're all complicit in horrible, horrible things, and we should be better. Mm-hmm. Um, should we make predictions for next week? Yes. So I think uh, next week is. Um, I think her. It's. I mean, obviously, it's going to be Luke or her daughter, but I think they're going to deal with Luke right away. Right. I think they're just going to go cut straight. I think they have yeah. to. I don't think they're going to dangle that. I mean, they're going to obviously like start with her holding the notebook, figuring out what the fuck to yeah. write. I think it'll just pick up right where it left was dead. Off. Yeah, I, yeah, I think we get we get Luke, and I am like, I really want to know what the fuck is going on with Luke because, like, you might if he knows that his wife is being like treated in this way and he isn't doing jack shit about it, he had better be in a really bad situation because, like, this is it's like really really fucked up. Um. Yeah. Like, if I find out that he's, like, off with their kids somewhere or something, I'm going to seriously bash my television in. Um, I don't think that that's going to be the case, but um, I wouldn't – I mean – What if he had his own handmade? Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. I am enjoying the fact that we're, like, now really fully departed from the book because for a while in the first, like, five, four or five, four-ish episodes, I remember being like, okay, like – just kind of like waiting for book plot points to happen. And now we're sort of like yeah. out in the clear and it's like, I have no fucking clue what's happening. There's only a few things which I know from the book they're going to have to deal with. Yeah. And I think we're like, they're very like broad, wide things. Um, there are a couple of scenes between Alfred and Fred that I keep expecting to see happen, but they're sort of dealing with the world a little bit differently. So maybe, you know, there's one scene in the book where she sort of leaves the confines of this neighborhood and goes out into some other world with him a little bit. And like, I feel like, um, it's like the only instance in the book where like, and we've already seen so much of the rest of the world. We've seen the courts, yeah. we've seen where they hang people. We've seen, um, this, you know, where they had this dinner with the, de- you know, even she sort of moves more freely amongst the house and around the neighborhood and stuff. So I don't know if they're going to, if there's going to be like a, a correlation scene, but, um, I don't know. There's just like a little to chew on when I watch it. So totally. Uh, yeah, I think in terms of predictions for next episode, obviously Luke is going to be the next thing we see and like kind of get more yeah. of him. I do wonder if you think we're going to see more of Emily, um, who was sort of, at, she drove the car around and killed somebody and was dragged off, or if that's the last we see of her. I think she's going to, I think they will tie it up. This isn't a show that like really dangles things without paying them off in some way, I think. Um, and also I think it, the character, there are so few characters, um, <laughs> yeah. I think even if they only say yeah, you can't really kill only, too many of them off. I think even if she, if they 
you know, they could hold on to her for a long time. I mean, part of what I'm saying, like with, you know, with Emily and with Moira and with Luke and with the daughter and like people disappear out of this world a lot, right? And that is like what forms the tension of the whole show. On a personal level, we care about her because she doesn't know where her family is and where her friends are. And I think that, so yes, I think that they will deal with her even if someone says, oh, oh yeah, she's, she's dead. Right. Like, yeah. Or we might see her, you know, hanging on the wall or something like that. Like as like a kind of, yeah. No, I mean, I think that that every time they walk past the wall now, I'm like, oh, she's someday like, you know, there is going to be a moment. I feel very certain that there's going to be a moment where they walk past the wall and it's like someone that they know is there. Nick. Um, so um, that's my prediction. <laughs> that's my, that's yeah. my joyful prediction for the show. <laughs> so on that super uplifting note, that was episode six of The Handmaid's Tale. Thanks for listening. Subscribe or rate on Apple Podcasts or find more ways to subscribe at theoutline.com slash podcasts. We will be back in a week and every week for new episodes. I'm Laura June. I'm Rose Eveleth. Under his eye. Under his eye. Under his eye.